podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, You Were Always Someone Else, wherein we adapt a new potential faction for your Invisible Sun game. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast You Were Always Someone Else, we adapt different ideas and inspiration for our Invisible Sun games. Today, we'll discuss a potential new faction based upon the sociological and philosophical tradition of social construction. Uh, so this are a group we'll call the Emergence for reasons that will become obvious later. And as we've done with the Monists and the Keeper of the Forms before, we will develop them as a front uh, in a simplified and adapted version of that approach to preparation from uh, Dungeon World. So quick review to give you a sense of where we're going. Uh, fronts, again, are a way to plan out a progressing threat to your characters so that your world feels dynamic uh, as if it's changing uh, based both based upon what the players do and uh, uh, what the uh, players don't choose for their characters to do. To develop a front, we develop a motive for some group. We describe an impending doom, that is, what will happen if this group can, uh, is able to fully implement its plan, uh, along with grim portents, which are the signs that the group is progressing in their uh, dark plan to change the, uh, in our case, the actuality. So we'll move through those processes uh, for a new potential adversary group. Uh, and this group, again, will be based upon uh, social construction. Uh, we've the, the previous two uh, traditions were based upon philosophical arguments about ontology. What is reality? Uh, the game uh, of Invisible Sun plays a lot with the notion of reality and suggests fundamentally that what we think of as reality is a very limited sense of reality and that reality is much more malleable and magical than we uh, think it is in our world. Uh, and so these theories of reality are uh, fertile subjects for developing uh, motivated uh, adversary groups. Well, the, the group for the, the philosophy today is social construction. It's really more associated with sociology than philosophy, but this is going to be a very simplistic version. Uh, don't use this material to answer your college exams on social construction, uh, but it's what I can fit into five to 10 minutes. So the distinction between a sociological tradition and a philosophical tradition is not all that important to us at this level of detail. The term is most often associated with uh, Berger and Luckman's book, The Social Construction of Reality. Uh, interestingly, this was considered the fifth most important work of sociological theory in the 20th century based on a survey of sociologists. Uh, I mention this also because uh, Max Weber, who we talked about regarding bureaucracy a couple episodes back, wrote two of the top four books uh, above uh, Berger and Luckman uh, in terms of influence in sociology. So it's really been a sociology intense month for us. I was reading through our notes here and uh, noticed the talk about bureaucracy. I totally forgot that that was our podcast that I learned about bureaucracy on. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, oh yeah, that's the right. Great... That, that was here that we did that. Yes, to again draw from the wisdom of Futurama, uh, the, the greatest trick is to do something without anyone realizing you did something at all. <laughs> so the basic argument for social construction is that uh, what we call reality is actually based on a series of agreements we all reach, usually quietly or tacitly, uh, about what we recognize as reality. That is, there are no facts that interpret themselves and no facts or objects that have meaning other than the meaning we attribute to them as social entities. Another way of thinking about this, if we change what we believe, in some sense, reality changes. So we can change reality by changing what we as a community believe. It's important to emphasize the community part. It's not about one person can just decide I can fly. Um, it is about what we as a community believe can be true. Um, and also it, it shapes how we interpret facts. So in the you know 14th century, it would be absurd to say that I can fly. And no one believed humans can fly because humans can't fly. However, we have now developed technologies that allow us to fly. So it's, you know, it, we have changed in some sense reality by now saying humans can fly with the caveat that is technologically assisted. So we're changing the rules based upon our agreements of what we believe is possible and what we believe is the meaning of reality. Uh, again, a, a couple of caveats. Uh, we're discussing a very simplistic version of a more complicated argument. Uh, this is I only go into this enough to inspire the creation of a group in Invisible Sun. Uh, if, uh, or if you want more information, Berger and Luckman's waiting for you, along with 50 years following Berger and Luckman of their influence on sociology and later philosophy. It sounds like this philosophy, is, is it, I guess, relegated to, uh, it's not just a physical thing or it also includes like the physical bounds of reality, it seems, to a degree. To some extent. So we can fly now with assistance, but back in the medieval times, if you said I can fly, you would be burned at the stake. Right. Because it'd just be ridiculous. No one can fly. So it's not just like um, socially accepted behavior. No, it's not just that. It's the meaning we attribute even to objects and forces. So um, again, it's this is often misinterpreted by its critics, especially those who don't bother to actually mm -hmm. read any of this stuff. That it's obviously absurd because uh, physical, uh, like the physical world exists, whether you believe it or not, and whether I want to believe that door exists in front of me. If I try to walk through it, it I will, I will hit it, and that that door has a factual nature. But what if you had a group of like-minded people who all decided to try and change reality? That's where we're going <laughs> with this. So yeah, so the, the um, it, so the, you know this philosophy is is the idea is we can change the world if we believe enough about it. Um, it doesn't mean that if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to to observe it, that the tree doesn't fall. It still falls, but that falling has no meaning, and therefore to these people, it is not a part of reality because reality is made up of meaning. Uh, just like the door, the door has a reality to it, 
Um, it's not just because I failed to believe I can walk through doors or even that we believe we can walk through doors. It's that our belief about the nature of the door can change because it's a door. So it opens back and forth. And our the implication we have for that door changes based on these, these sort of tacit agreements. But we can gamify this and amplify it to a, to a point that isn't representative necessarily of the actual philosophy about our world, but instead reflects kind of an invisible sun version of this world. And that is that uh, if enough people begin to believe something, they start to institutionalize this belief. They make the belief real until what we think of as reality is defined by this particular belief. So this that creates a natural uh, p uh, motive for a, an adversary group. It's a group trying to get enough people to believe something to change the world. And if it's something that is possibly bad, that make, makes them an adversary group. Uh, you could make an entire campaign where, where this group would be a, an ally group or that your player characters are members of this group because you want to change the world in a good way by creating a belief that becomes reality that you believe is good. Uh, though social construction theory is not particularly uh, enamored of the even the notion of hmm. goodness. So because uh, that itself, they would say, is socially constructed. An another useful example might be that, uh, you know, some sub in our world, as example, some subjective belief uh, becomes so taken for granted that they are assumed to be laws of nature. Uh, both of our previous groups believed something along these lines. Uh, the keepers of the form and the monists, based on the Socratics and the deists, respectively, believe there were a lot of laws of nature that one, if one did not accept, then one was just being ignorant. That there, there's no way to change or modify those laws. There's no different interpretations of those laws. And the chief subject of human inquiry is to discover these laws. Social constructivists would use a counterexample and say, for most of human history, gender was considered natural. And that a lot of the things we associate with gender, the nature, uh, the, the idea of a gender binary, the association of different professions, uh, hobbies, activities, uh, dress codes, all of these were considered for a lot of for a long time to be mm -hmm. laws of nature. But that a lot of social construction, a lot of the, the history of social construction is the process of building the case that, no, this was never natural. It was something these are just rules that humans came up with and they they just took for granted. They were so commonly held. People just assumed they were laws of nature, but there was never anything that prevented someone from dressing differently. And the nature of a gender binary was itself an artifact of this construction. It was never part of nature and the, and the laws of nature. So it's about how much we mistake for a given independent natural process, which is in fact just a social process that we agree to, um, but we often don't agree to ta uh, um, uh, verbally. People don't just sign a big contract that says, by the way, your gender means X. We just learn this when we're young. It's reinforced on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where the, you know, we're, that, that's the sort of process that our group might be trying to use. They want to change the actuality by making enough people believe something new about the actuality. So this is where the term emergence comes from. So we'll talk about the uh, front of the emergence. These are, it's a belief that is, or a, a, a kind of a, a, an aspect of the setting that will emerge because of the shared belief of all these people 
um, if they can achieve that. That's their goal, at least. Okay. So the motive, uh, and I'll just take, you know, this could be lots of different things. Uh, emergence are trying to establish some new fact about the world to be taken for granted. Uh, if they're an adversary group, it's probably a belief that is going to have some negative influence um, or something the players would want to uh, to oppose. So I'll take the example of uh, maybe the emergence believe that the gray sun is a negative influence on the actuality. I mean, it's, it is about lies. So why would we want anything about lies in the path of suns? So they seek to remove the gray sun from the path of suns by convincing everyone that the gray sun was a lie all along and does not exist. You know, uh, as far as things they want people to believe or the way they want to change reality, this might be one of the hardest examples that I think you could have come up with for reasons that we're not going to get into here. <laughs> and there, there, yeah, there are there are simpler mm -hmm. examples that might be. But I, I'm saving those for some other fronts um, about how you change the world by beliefs in a more, uh, I don't know, political way, in a way that centralizes power. Yeah, uh, that's cool. And we'll I'll talk to you about this after we're off of the the, the microphones. <laughs> Maybe uh, more to no. come for everyone else. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, um, but I wanted something that could ch you know, that that was big, and was at least something reasonable that you could believe that some group would seek as a change to the actuality. And removing the gray sun because it's based in lies seemed like just reasonable enough to create a an adversary group that has an, an understandable motivation, even if mm -hmm. we still oppose that motivation. As opposed to uh, this group wants to burn everything to the ground and make the turn the actuality into a constant inferno. Right. Uh, I guess on the other end of the spectrum, you know, maybe they'd be uh, interested in adding another sun to the path for their own, you know, yes. selfish reasons. Right, and and for them, it might not even be considered selfish. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you could add stuff to this path of suns. You could change the rules of magic. I considered for a while maybe a group that uh, doesn't or believes that magic should be constrained and are limited only to uh, the Vizle. And so Zillitz, for instance, would just basically be disempowered. For the X Men comic fans, this would be sort of the uh, the House of M moment for uh, for the Zillets, uh, where they just become suddenly mundane. Uh, that's the goal, maybe, of this group. So there's lots of different beliefs we yeah, could, we could yeah, use. Yeah, you could uh, use this as a sort of allegory for a lot of things that are going on these days. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll avoid that comment <laughs> for a little while. I got, I'll, oh, yeah. Okay, so we have a motive. The emergents are trying to convince everyone that the gray doesn't gray sun does not exist. So now Grimportance. Grimportance again are the evidence of the influence of some group in the world so that your players see through their characters' experiences uh, how the world is changing and the influence of their adversary on the world as the adversary becomes more powerful. And it also probably motivates them to act. So stage one, uh, they start to see uh, the play. The characters start to see people joke about the absurdity of changing the path of suns because they heard some wacko talking about changing the path of suns. But everyone knows the path of sun is a fact. Uh, this is part of an attack on emergence themselves. 
Uh, and so, uh, you, you know, uh, you might start to see uh, people who are identified or even just called, whether they are or not, uh, emergence are like uh, you know, put, you know, thrown out of businesses. They're chased down the street. They're just chased off because they're considered to be um, heretical uh, or just insane because anyone who thinks this would be insane, most would believe. In stage two, uh, the group begins to grow in influence. People begin to openly question why one would ever travel to the gray uh, and teasing people recently from the gray. So there starts to get some some uh, uh, purchase on their argument that the gray is a negative influence. That's kind of the first stage of their influence. And this influence is reflected in people who are not emergents, just Average people who don't have necessarily any direct contact with the organization, but the organization's whole goal is to get people talking about this subject. And so they're starting to get this subject uh, raised in conversations in stage two. And so this just is something that players run into in inc incidental conversations in bars or on the street and in shops. Uh, in stage three, the influence of the emergence begins to grow. Uh, maybe sunships cut back on trips to the gray. Though I, I'm not sure there are stops at the gray for sunships, but I also don't know if it says there no, aren't. No, it doesn't say that there aren't. Yeah, so that's up to you. <laughs> um, but if there, if or something along these lines, that whatever the, the travel from the gray becomes <clears throat> less frequent, and the usual methods for traveling to the gray become more challenging, either requiring more magic or more materials to complete that uh, that transition. So I imagine the Hindasa starts say, complaining. Yeah, if you want to really demonstrate this to your players, like have them encounter some Hindasa talking about like how traveling in and out of the gray has become much more difficult because they're, they're the group that really interacts with the gray on a regular basis. It, this might even be the point where you start to turn the public as a whole in Saturine against the Hindasa. The Hindasa now are doing something people think is inappropriate because there's a growing belief fueled by the emergence that anything having to do with the gray is tainted. It's a lie. We don't want anything to deal with it. So these people who deliberately go into the gray are opening themselves up to corruption and they shouldn't do that anymore. And why should they, why are they traveling to the gray? And so, the, the, well, what about all the Visley that are still trapped there? Um, well, if they're still trapped there, they should probably deserve to be. Okay. I mean, maybe <laughs> that that could I be mean, the argument. Are they actually visibly? Or maybe there aren't. Maybe like, oh no, that's that's all just propaganda that the Hindasa use to justify their existence. There isn't anybody there. They're just going there to enjoy themselves, and it's really just this corrupt practice where they go benefit. They they go enjoy these lies. So you, you could imagine the sort of propaganda war between the Hindasa and the emergence. Well, as as a Visley character, I mean, how would you square the fact that you were in the gray because of the war? Well, I mean, we don't talk about the war, but we I mean, yeah, we don't talk about the war, but we were in we the were gray. in the gray, but we all got out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Okay. I, I get it. And um, these sort of ideological positions aren't always entirely coherent. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, this is no less coherent than a lot of contemporary ideological positions. Uh, stage four, travel to the gray becomes extremely difficult. People begin to argue, uh, the, the public begins to argue that we shouldn't have anything to do with the gray anymore, that it is a lie and everything that touches it is becomes tainted by this lie. And so there's active opposition to anything recently from the gray. 
um, or for any travel to the gray. In fact, talking about the gray becomes sort of a social taboo. It's just an impolite conversation. Think of all the things we just, you know, you're not allowed to talk about over a holiday dinner. It becomes a topic like that. Like, just don't, just don't talk about that. Oh man, this is, this is just doublespeak, isn't it? Uh, It's getting there. (laughs) Social construction is both the explanation of, and the weapon of, uh, uh, a lot of authoritarian sort of themes coming out of 1984. Super relevant. Yeah. Uh, in stage five, finally, the public largely begins to deny the gray is or ever existed. Yeah. We, there's never been a gray. Yeah. It's, that was just a fairy tale that people told. We've always been at war with Oceania. Exactly. Um, and then finally, either people cannot, and this, this is when, in some sense, mechanically, the gray becomes more or less disconnected from the path of suns. One of the implications might be people can't lie anymore. Or lies are somehow punished by both magical and political forces in the actuality. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, there's also no travel to the, to the gray. There are no more Visley coming into Saturn. Um, now, is that because it no longer exists? Or is it because the social construction, the social rules have said it's not there and we don't talk about it, just like we don't talk about the war? In sort of a social construction philosophy, it'd be like the tree falling in the forest. If no one heard it, who cares? Yeah. And so the, the gray sun- we're in a we're in a world where magic is reality. Right. So in the Invisible Sun version, I would say you could take you could ramp it up and say, no, it, it just does not exist anymore. Because in, in the actuality, so much of magic is based on belief. Yeah. Um, you might have to rewire the uh, currents of magic because suddenly there's a gap in the in what was the path of suns. Oh, man, that would be so much fun to like, all right, we're doing I'm putting out a new card on the path of suns, but we skip gray because it's not here anymore. Right. Like, we have a bad board. Or uh, as you suggested earlier, maybe a the real motivation for the emergence, which only is revealed sort of in the climax of this campaign is that they didn't want to just remove the gray sun. They wanted to add in the, well, I don't know, yellow sun, some other sun. And so it's not just, they actually swap a new sun with the gray sun. And it has whatever its philosophy is, has a new, has a new influence. And that was sort of what the, the elites within the, uh, emergence believed all along, but maybe they didn't bother telling that to everybody like, oh, we're just trying to make, you know, uh, oh man, I've got to avoid so much propaganda talk right now. Um, we're just trying to uh, stop the lies and that gets their big movement going. But the cabal at the top of the emergence, like, yeah, we want to stop the lies, but we're just doing that so that we can get, um, I don't know, wealth. That's, that's kind of dumb, but um, you know, whatever their, their real motive is, it kind of becomes, it replaces the gray sun. And naturally, because they're the ones who sort of pulled this new sun and, and, and did the swap, they believe they'll have a lot of influence over that new sun. Maybe they'd move there because that is their new, that's where they want to live. So the impending doom for the emergence is that they might actually either eliminate or swap out the gray sun with some other uh, uh, philosophy that they are, that they are, are some other theme that they want to empower within the actuality. 
And that, again, that's only if the players let them do it. <laughs> if the players have seen all of this progression from stage one to stage six and have not intervened to thwart what's likely some sort of massive ritual to either empower the swap or to final to finalize the excision of the gray sun from the path of suns. Of course, as I mentioned, emergence could also be an ally. So uh, based on our, our uh, discussion of the labyrinth uh, uh, recently, I also worked up what the emergence could be as an ally. And developing allies is a little different, but, sim but similar in its way. Uh, for an ally, you're not worried about impending doom. They aren't going to just destroy the universe if you, if you don't stop them. But they possess an internal conflict. And that conflict uh, kind of fuels their advancement over time. So the internal conflict I decided on was that there's disagreement within the organization uh, over the tools used to spread belief or whether the belief that they're trying to create should be permanent uh, or whether you know every, they should recognize that beliefs are fluid and thus they should leave the, the belief that they are creating to similarly believe, be fluid. Uh, in terms of advancement, you could see as a minor group, this would be the, where the characters first come into contact with them. The emergents are seen as marginal or even heretical. Uh, and players see members being run out of shops, uh, people being rude to emergents, or even abusive or physically abusive to them in the streets because they are this marginal group. As their influence grows, the uh, characters start to see specific locations pop up, uh, equivalent of places of worship or neighborhood outreach organizations that have that give the group legitimacy as having a presence in the neighborhood. The third stage is when the emergents get into the big league. The group is now seen as a powerful force within the neighborhood. Uh, prominent people are known as members. It's even become maybe trendy to uh, announce your membership as an emergent. And this is when the idea begins to shape the world around them. And the final stage for this ally group uh, which is where the groups kind of begins to fall apart to some extent is when they become what they hate. The group begins to start centralizing its influence and marginalizing formerly powerful groups. They exhibit the same sort of bullying behaviors they were subject to earlier. So this is where uh, the group has become much more influential. And now they start doing to the Hindasa, let's say uh, what everyone used to do to them. So they're, you know, they're, they're telling their members, the Hindasa are heretics and they don't deserve your respect. So don't let them in your stores, um, uh, spit on them as they walk down the street. And so they, they it sort of reverses their position as an initially heretical group. And you can kind of play with that as an ally group and players can see this progression, not because it's leading to an impending doom, but they can see how this internal conflict, uh, it, changes the group over time and they can then influence the trajectory. Maybe they intervene and stop the group from uh, exhibiting the same behaviors that they were subject to as an outside group. Maybe they uh, move the, the group in one direction or another, whether towards permanence or impermanence, or impermanence. Uh, but they can influence this group as an ally. Is this something that sounds like it could be useful for you? Um, yeah. Uh, the, the evolution of this group as an ally, uh, it it could apply to like almost any you know ally group that starts out small and on the you know margins and then gains influence. Right, I see this as almost like a monomyth for organizations. Um, there's a yep. another sociologist actually named Michaels 
who uh, proposed what he calls the iron law of oligarchy, that all groups, as they grow, naturally develop an oligarchic leadership uh, group, and that over time, the interest of the leadership group will likely diverge from the mass membership of the group. He applies this to political parties and interest groups and lobbyists and things like that. But you could co-op that for for uh, just a game to uh, say, like, this is the iron law of Saturnine oligarchy, that you have small groups that all agree on everything and pursue some goal. But over time, as they become bigger, that an elite group of leaders emerges and their interests are more in maintaining their position and, and strengthening the power of the group than whatever the original motivation was. And you can apply that in your own life, however you choose. <laughs> well, I hope that this discussion has uh, provided you with some ideas on uh, groups that you can introduce to your campaign. The goal is to give you groups that are um, uh, that you can draw into your game so that you have villains that are not just destroying things for destruction's sake, um, that you have groups with reasonable motivations to create conflict that I think will have that link you better into the invisible sun uh, uh, focus on uh, clashes of philosophy rather than simply there's an orc with pie that you want. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive-Thru RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.